Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. My co-hosts today, as most days, are Joshua Newberg and Christopher Nee. Fellas, can I tell you about two dreams that I had last night? I need to get this off my chest. No. Okay. So where do we want to start? There's a lot of Florida State news as the season. If you can smell it in the air. Mm. It smells it's like football ha- out. It's happening. Chris, have you noticed that like, you go outside like 8 in the morning? It's a little crisp, a little fallish, a little football-y, dare I say, outside? I'm usually half asleep and driving my kids to school, so I'm not exactly taking it in. It's a damn shame. You're missing, out. You're missing out on life. Florida State is officially in game week, folks. We are recording this on a Monday. FSU plays Georgia Tech on Saturday. Knock on wood. It's happening. It's, it's happening. happening. It is. It is. Uh, I called Josh this morning. I was like, are you excited? He's like, yeah, why, why wouldn't I be excited? Yeah, I thought Brendan was like trying to tell me. He's like, what's your excitement level? And I was like, a nine or 10? And I was like, shouldn't it be? And he's like, yeah. And you just came off as like you were warning me. I thought something bad was coming, but I, I think well, that's just you. I know Chris I mean, said he didn't want to hear about the dreams, but I had two last night. One was that oh I got fired. Geez. Another one was that I got lost on the way to cover a Louisville game. So <laughs> what did that have to do with me and how much I <laughs> – you're, you're a weird dude. Projected. <laughs> Anywho, so FSU had its introductory press conference for the start of the season today. We spoke to Mike Norvell. We had Adam Fuller, Kenny Dillingham, and Coach JP. So it's feeling very football-y out. We're going to get into some of the things we learned, and, and there was a depth chart released today, which was always big news. But first, I want to get into a couple of odds and ends with some injury updates, some recruiting news that Josh and Chris are going to have, and then we'll go into the depth chart to kind of do our season preview deal. So let's start off with the news. Uh, the one guy who we know for sure is going to be out who was could have been on the two deep, but not. That's safety Hampson Nazarene. He will not play against Georgia Tech, according to Coach Mike Norvell. And also Chubba Purdy, who we weren't expecting to see play for the next few weeks after he had a, a shoulder injury that required surgery. He apparently, uh, according to a report from Brad Cessnet, who we've had on the bench before of AZ Sports 360, uh, he reported that Chubba Purdy had a second surgery to repair a, a minor infection on the left shoulder. So I'm not sure if it, it impacts the timeline, but probably not ideal for, for that to happen for Chubba. So that's the, the two the two tidbits there. Chris, uh, Hampson Nazardine, though, that, that's not a big surprise on our end. I know we thought, right, that he was, he was probably going to be out for the first week or two of the season at least. Yeah, we knew he hadn't done the scrimmages, so we weren't real confident that he was going to be around for the Georgia Tech game. Uh, Norvell did say he's doing a great job in his rehabilitation feel like he's really, really close, just not going to be available for this week. Adam Fuller added essentially that they are uh, holding him back to a slight degree just not to rush him back. We're trying to hold him back a little bit, which I don't think he likes, but I think he respects. That was Fuller's quote on it, which I thought was pretty fitting. I, I think they expect him to groove right in there once he comes back. You know, probably have to knock off a little rust, but be ready to contribute at a high level. And then the chub of Purdy. Well, one thing on, on Hamza Nazarene, I'm going to speculate recklessly here for an injury. Norvell saying it's very, very close to coming back makes me feel like after the bye week with Miami in the looming that they'll try to do whatever they can as long as it's not jeopardizing him you know, having a, another uh, injury to that knee. I think they're going to try to push to get Hampson back in the fold for that. Uh, with Chubba Purdy, that's a that's a big, big loss for uh, for the team box checkers, Chris. It's just that's another L that you guys are taking. I don't think the timeline changes. Though. I, Probably not. I, I, I'm not a surgeon by any stretch. For the love of God, I wouldn't be on this podcast if I was. <laughs> but uh, 
I think in this case, it was more a matter of, you know, it got infected, you go in, you clean it out, which probably means you had to drain some pus buildup and you put yes. it back closed. You probably delayed a day or two because it is fresh stitches, reopened, reclosed, but I don't think it drastically changes his timeline. I still think he's a guy that can contribute if necessary come mid-October to late-October. Right, I'm going to be be up like three or four games on you by then, Chris. I'm going to be up. But you may have lost a couple of those games because you're quarterback, but we digress. Hey, hey, I will not be here for James Blackman slander. Josh, there were a, uh, as football gets closer to FSU season, you're getting these reminders all across the uh, the TV, the internet that, you know, there's football going on in other places too. And that includes high school. Uh, some There's some FSU recruits who've been in action and, and a few of them had some really nice games this uh, this past weekend. You want to start off with a little Luke, Luke Altmaier action, him showing some wheels? Yeah, no doubt. Florida State fans were anxiously awaiting the, the debut of four-star quarterback commitment Luke Altmaier. And boy, did he not disappoint. Um, in a nationally televised game, he led his Starkville, Mississippi squad over West Point 40 to 28. Um, he went 15 of 21, threw for 295 yards and two touchdowns and missed time in the second half due to cramping. He also had 89 yards on the ground. There's been some experts that question his mobility and he kind of answered with a 74 yard touchdown run underline that, underscore that. Run. Um, but yeah, Luke Altmaier got off to a great start. And, you know, his senior year is just beginning. And so did Malik McClay. The wide receiver commitment from IMG scored two touchdowns. Six foot four, 195 pounds. Had a real impressive catch in the back of the end zone where he got the, you know what, knocked out of him and held on. Also caught a screen pass and went for about 20, 22 yards. Took it to the house, showed good speed and explosiveness. So, uh Two commitments that got off to a great start. And um, another was Travis Hunter. Yeah. Travis Hunter is is a five-star junior quarterback or cornerback commitment for the 2022 class, kind of the, the crown jewel of, uh, of FSU's 22 class. He had eight receptions for 185 yards as a wide receiver, including a touchdown. Uh, he had big catches of 31, 41, and 30. He also had an interception on defense, so he was just all over the place. A great start for FSU commitments. Hunter actually had three touchdowns through the year. <laughs> the three, the length of the receptions you listed off were the three touchdowns. Oh, okay. touchdowns! The three touchdowns. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think Mike Norvell and his staff can evaluate. I know that's a giant yeah. overreaction to have with just one game, but I, well, he ain't hard I, to miss. He's the number I two watched, quarterback and number five overall prospect. I watched some of the Hunter game. Um, and it was he's he's excellent, but we kind of knew this athletically. He stands out on both sides of all. I watched a lot of McLean game. That wasn't a good game at all. But man, I like McLean. Like I, it, you can tell he's in that IMG weight program now. He is filled out on that frame even more. He was always thick, but he looked impressive. I, McLean's the guy who probably made the biggest jump in my mind out of those three going into Friday with what they produced on the field. I already thought very highly of the other two. I think Hunter is one of the best in the country for twenty two. And Altmaier is an excellent quarterback who, while he may not shine in Elite 11 format when the bullets are flying and it's a game situation, I'll take him. I'll always take him. He's accurate. He's very good, especially short and intermediate with the ability to go vertical deep. His his wheels are fine. Like, I've never been one that thought he couldn't run the ball. I think that that whole storyline has been horribly overplayed, personally. I understand his rushing stats were not very good last year, so that's where that originated but he is capable of extending plays with his legs. And he did that last year and he's good at throwing when he's on the move. And he continues to do that when he's turning in 74 yard runs against a pretty damn good West point team. I got no issues with his feet. He's really in the pocket before I forget. um, Mm -hmm. Let's make a note of this in a month or two. uh, Let's get IMG offensive coordinator, Sean King, former Buccaneer quarterback, uh, former USF QB coach on the pod. Talk to him about Malik McLean and what he brings to that. IMG offense. That's so, a good idea. That's let's a good get him. Idea. I asked Sean about him like in early August, and he was like, "Honestly, he seems like a great kid, but I've only met him over Zoom so far." <laughs> so uh, I want Sean to work with him a little bit, and then we'll we'll get him on the pod. I think he probably likes what what he's seen from mm-hmm. from after the early results. So the cool thing about McLean's catch in the back of the head, so that that Josh reference was that even though he has the size and has legitimate like time clocked four or five speed. Didn't know if he was going to be a super physical possession receiver based on the highlights. Like that didn't show up in, in his highlight film from Alabama. 
so that's a really nice indication of like, oh, he, he can give you a little jump ball uh, possession receiver type stuff too. It's encouraging. It's encouraging. And I saw some people, you know, question his his weight at 190 or 195 at six foot four. I wouldn't worry about Malik McLean in size. Uh, anybody that if you see him in person, you understand he has the frame to be a 205, maybe even 200. He can be as big as he wants to be. Put it that way. And yeah, people question big... his speed too, and and he certainly showed that on the uh, on the little screen touchdown that he had. Mm-hmm. They threw it to him and he took off, and the acceleration was there. I don't know if it's legit four or five. In, in game, but like it, it's not an issue. He has speed. That's going to be a, a strength for him. Yeah. He's definitely an excellent piece in what we expect to be a three man receiver class. Chris, the last time we had the podcast, you were, you and I, in all fairness, were bemoaning the uh, possibility of having to ask about uniforms. Josh goaded <laughs> us into it a little bit. You bit the bullet and did it. And as Josh predicted, as we all kind of knew what happened, how many, how many clicks did that story get? I think it's hovering around thirty thousand. It just no. It's me. like at, it's at fifty five thousand at least right now. Is it I a, didn't really goat you into it. I just asked, like, like we're all very cognizant of numbers, and I was just like, how come nobody asked that question? Like, if I, uh, I, I made my point on the last. Yeah, no, I get it. I don't care about. <laughs> but but like, now you guys get it. Where I'm asking from. it is fine. Essentially, Norvell's answer was, you know, it's a great tradition at FSU to garner the gold and the helmet. And we're going to respect that. We're going to do that first and foremost. But recruits and players love the alternates and the reward of that for the players earning it. It's something they'll also do. At Memphis, they wore a lot of different combinations. In the article I wrote, I mentioned how many they did in 2019, the black helmets they did in 2018. I think you look for FSU to try to balance tradition as well as doing some cool stuff with their uniforms out of the gate this year. But I, I suspect out of the gate game one, it's going to be tradition first. My personal opinion on this, this might throw some people off. They might not agree, but I I think that FSU should wear their traditional uniforms about 90% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good uniform. Com- it is a really combination. good uniform. Um, it could be cleaned up a little bit, but like the white numbers have looked really, really sharp. Yeah. And then, then when you do wear the all, you know, alternative jerseys, the alternates, uh, then it makes it more special. I'm with you, Josh. Yeah, I, I enjoy a road game a year with maybe like white on white. Um, you know, I remember, I think it was UNC years ago they wore that. I believe there was a UVA game years mm-hmm. ago they wore that. I think that's a real sharp look. A game a year for that is really good. But in general, I'm more of a traditionalist. Also on the uniforms this year, they're going to have a patch on the I'm, – I'm, holding it over my right chest like people can actually see it right now. You guys can. And, a, and as though you were a scholar. I am a scholar. I had much higher than 3.0 GPA at all given times, except for some times in high school. Uh, but yeah, FSU have a Seminole Scholar patch on their front right shoulder uh, on the game jerseys to uh, to indicate that these are guys who are being signified for having uh, plus 3.0 GPA. So guys who are, who are taking care of business in the classroom, get rewarded for it to, to have that visible notice, that little nod to say, hey, you're, you're doing a good job. Hey, Chris, note another question you have to ask is, uh, are they going to have a turnover prop? Ask that tomorrow to Mike Norvell. Because Memphis, they had a, in the first couple of years, they had a turnover uh, wrestling belt. But last year, they did not when Adam Fuller was there. The belt, if you watched Memphis's last Saturday, was back again. So uh, is Adam Fuller not a fan of the belt? Or is Mike Norvell going to let it be? Yeah, born? you should ask him that. Ask him. And then you can okay. write it. Okay. I'm here for you, gentlemen. We got to be uncomfortable. Be, be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's true. That's true. No, but I want you to ask him if it was him or Adam Fuller that doesn't like it. <laughs> Put him on the spot. Yeah. So is it you or the bald guy coaching your defense? Which right. one? That's of how. Which one of you is doing this? Ask him what he would think of a turnover bag as a motivational tool. Oh God, <laughs> I hate you, <laughs> Real quick, Chris, uh, do you want to go over the FSU NFL Knowles deal? Because that there was roster cutdowns yesterday. So some some FSU guys made rosters, other ones made practice squads and some are looking for homes right now yeah we're sitting at a right now there's 34 in the league officially that's the number we're sitting at some of the big movement mario edwards jr got cut by the new orleans saints he immediately got picked up by the chicago bears mario is always going to be a rotational piece but he has versatility because he's a dn and a d tackle so he can do a little bit of both a uh, couple of the undrafted types or a guy like jaquez patrick who came in as an xfl guy signed with the Bengals. they got cut Patrick did land on the practice squad with the Bengals, which is good news for him. I think they really liked him. It's just a matter of numbers at the position, but I think he is the next man up at their running back spot. Stanford Samuel was the third. He was cut by the Packers, brought back for their practice squad. 
Uh, Houston Texans cut Rick Leonard. The expectation when that happened was that they were going to bring him back. They are not because of a different signing at offensive line. It's always such a numbers game. So it'll be interesting to see if Leonard lands somewhere. He's bounced around the league a little bit. He's been with the Texans. I believe he was with the Arizona Cardinals. I think there was one other team there in his rotation since he got into the league. Devontae Freeman is visiting with the Jaguars. They have not signed him, but that is a possibility. Obviously, Leonard Fournette got dealt by them. They have a void in the running back room. Gabe Neighbors, I thought, was going to make the charges, especially when they cut their other fullback in camp, and then they just went out and cut him too and decided not to have a fullback on the active roster. The good news for Gabe is they definitely do like him. They brought him back on the practice squad. I think he's the next man up, especially if their whole tight end experiment as a blocker doesn't work out. Uh, you know, a couple guys in new places this year, Graham Gano's with the Giants. You know, he was previously a long time with the Panthers. Obviously, Jameis is in New Orleans. New Orleans. Sorry about that. New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. And uh, Timmy Jernigan's in Jacksonville, which I think we reported on earlier when he signed there. But I put down the whole list of everybody currently in the league, where they're at. I think we could end up seeing 36 to 37 in the league at kickoff on Thursday. That depends on, like, Rick Leonard getting picked up, Devontae Freeman landing somewhere, maybe Nigel Bradham landing somewhere, too. He got cut, obviously, earlier in the preseason a couple weeks ago. So that's where we sit with the NFL Knowles. Numbers lower than I can remember in a long, long time, probably early 2010s. I don't even know if it got down that low right before they had, obviously, the rush mm-hmm. of NFL draft picks under Jimbo. All right, last thing I want us to go over before we take our commercial break and go over to the depth chart news and, and kind of a pseudo uh, position preview for the season type of deal. Josh, do you have any recruiting tidbits that you want to throw out there for our listeners or, or even just, you know, guide them to Knowles247.com and, uh, and, and give a little glimpse of the VIP stuff that you've been. Yeah, I think now's the time for FSU fans to return to recruiting if you haven't been following it. So I'm kind of trying to lay it out each day, something to follow along. Um, we dropped an article today on FSU's three biggest recruiting needs between now and signing day. Um, obviously landing an offensive tackle fits the bill there. Um, five prospects that FSU will evaluate this fall. Uh, I got two offensive tackles, two defensive ends on there that kind of make up the majority of the list because we know that's what FSU needs. I'm going to update the top 10 most wanted recruits probably toward the end of the week now that the season's starting. So everything recruiting is, is going to hit Knowles 24 uh, seven trickled out all week. Lots of lots of content, lots of recruiting, and um, see if FSU can improve. What are they sitting at right now? 25 overall, fourth in the ACC, with about 10 spots remaining. So there's a lot of recruiting that's going to take place between now and signing day. All right, before uh, before we go to the commercial break, I want to give thanks to Noel Chris, who gave us a five-star review, said five stars, I love OTB, and if you're a common thread reader on Knowles 24-7. He said, hi, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Chris, thank you. Hi. And then Nate Dick 24-25 says, a funny, informative podcast. Keep it up, fellas. Best FSU podcast. Thank you. We appreciate the five-star reviews. Not only do they make me feel better when you guys say something nice about us, which is important because my I'm very insecure, but also does help the podcast grow in popularity, makes it more uh, attractive to sponsors and it just kind of keeps us going. So thank you for those who've, who've done that over the years. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Without further ado, I will take a commercial break, keep the sponsors happy nationally. And then uh, Josh Newberg is going to lead a, uh, a bit of a, a discussion on the FSU 2020 roster when we come back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back on the bench. Welcome. Um, I'm going to guide kind of the second half of this podcast as we break down the depth chart as Florida State just released their week one depth chart for the season opener against Georgia Tech. Um, there were some surprises and we'll get to it as we go. But I just want to start right at the top quarterback. Really no surprise there. Uh, you guys did a great job throughout camp kind of spelling this one out. James Blackman's going to start and they got Tate Rodemaker or Jordan Travis in there. But we we sort of expect Tate Rodemaker to be the backup, right, Brendan? First, uh, Chris scolded me for not to not use surprise in my headlines moving forward, and you just used surprise twice. So let's not use surprise so Chris doesn't yell at us. Okay. I was honest. Uh-huh. Don't make me break out my teacher stick. Brendan, they won't know that we know stuff. I, know, I think the quarterback stuff we were so on top of that it almost kind of hurt us when the James Blackman news came out uh, because people – on the website I already kind of knew it was happening how's that for humble brag but uh but no, no no big surprise it was good news that Jordan Travis is back he's on the depth chart he was slowed down for a little bit for an unspecified reason so Mike Norvell said he's back in the mix that's good to have him as the uh as a backup option I did think it makes sense though he was behind Tate Rotomaker who's probably the the only guy who can you feel okay with taking you know 20 yeah. 30 snaps a game at the position yeah I think right now um running back Blackman. Jay Sean Corbin or with Damian Webb. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, I think that Corbin is the guy, but I think Webb's a guy they like a heck of a lot. I think we're gonna see well beyond just those two mm-hmm. used at the position. You know, Toa Philly, Corey Wren, Lawrence Toa Philly, Corey Wren, and uh Ja'Kai Douglas, I think are all three guys that are gonna factor in with some spot duty here and there. But I think if you're looking for the banger, the guy who's gonna play a lot of snaps, a guy that can kind of be your workhorse, it's definitely those two. I think Corbin is first man up, but I think Webb is definitely going to be the first rotational piece. And I do think, you, go ahead. Do you think it's weird they didn't put three names in there? I do. Back? I thought they would put the all three freshmen as like the either co but third then, guys. Then you're being kind of obnoxious with a depth chart when you're putting five guys in a spot. No, I think just one. I think Lawrence Tofilly would have probably been the guy. That's what I had for the projection. I thought it was going to be Corbin one and then Webb and Tofilly. Yeah, I don't think you put all of them in there. But I think putting just Tofilly is kind of a disservice to the other two guys who are also going to play a similar role. Don't sleep on Deontay Sheffield either. Right. So you got six guys at the spot. I think with a two deep, you try to stick with it being too deep. Un- unless it's an or situation with that second team or with the first team. So I think at this spot, it's, you know, either two or five or even mm-hmm. six. It's tough to list as two or three. It was nice okay. to see Webb in there just because we hadn't heard. Of, he didn't participate in either of FSU scrimmages, but he was someone that Norvell started talking about more and more towards right. the end of the preseason. So that's good for the depth. I think you needed him to to kind of be the the bell, the co-bell cow, if you will, to Jay Sean Corbin. Yeah. And then moving to the outside, you have wide receiver Tamori and Terry, who returned for his redshirt junior season, um, his backup, Ontario Wilson. And then opposite Tamari and Terry, kind of one of the things that made your ears perk up is seeing Warren Thompson mm. out there, number 11. Um, mm. Thompson's gone through some stuff this offseason, but it looks like him and Mike Norvell have kind of buried everything and moved on. Um Chris, what do you think about Warren Thompson starting opposite Terry? I think it's a good sign for what these Seminoles can be in 2020. I think Warren Thompson is arguably the second highest ceiling receiver they have on the roster. You know, I'd take Keyshawn Helton over him every day and twice on Saturdays, and Keyshawn's a starter at the slot, which we'll get to. But Warren's a guy who, if you get his best out of him, opposite of Terry, it can really open up a lot of things for the passing game. He's an extremely explosive playmaker, which is exactly how I believe it was Kenny Dillingham described him today. And I think that's, 
you know, the best way to put it. He's a guy that we call him a swing man. We call him a guy that can change the outlook on this season if he produces at a high level. And here we are. Here he is there. I asked Norville about how he did with putting the the little situation between the two of them from a few weeks back behind him and focusing on the field and earning that role a second. And, you know, he said Thompson has to keep going out there and doing it, but he did it in that interim, in that period in between, and put himself in this position. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Young will back him up. And then in the slot, it looks like Keyshawn Helton is healthy enough to go for week one. Um, there was maybe some questions heading into into fall camp about his health, but he he's answered all those, hasn't he, Brendan? His rehab has been remarkable. He's been described, I believe, as Ron du- by wide receiver coach Ron Dugans as a quote-unquote machine with mm-hmm. how he rehabs initially when I did the feature story on Keyshawn in the spring, when I was talking to some of the people who were part of his rehab process, they thought a return in the season was very reasonable, but I don't think it was week one type of type of reasonable. And the delay probably helped with that a bit too. I I mean, but only it's a week, Josh. I mean, I think it helps, but he's been great all camp. I I mean, he's looked great in all the videos we've seen. He looks good. And and as he's uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's a pro and he's going to handle it the right way. And he's rehabbed diligently. He stayed. That's one thing he told me in the off season. He's like, I stayed in Florida state. I sacrificed not going home to see my family because if he left Tallahassee, that means he wasn't going to be able to come back until they restricted some of the quarantine deals. So yeah, it's, as Chris mentioned, it's really good to have him back just because of what he brings from from effort, from energy standpoint. Then you get the physical tools. If he's anywhere close to 100%, I think he could put up some really, really prolific numbers in Mike Norvell's offense as a receiver and running threat. I think the two most notable things about the wide receiver depth chart is, one, it clears up the backup situation, which it was not necessarily who would be backups, but where they would back up. For example, Tron being with Helton in what you view as a slot position is kind of surprising and pokey being behind Terry, you know, you'd at least me conceptually in my head, I'm thinking those two would flip spots with where they would be as backups. And the other thing is no DJ Matthews, not to belabor the point, but we're not right. expecting him to play, but he's so that was, that was one thing I wanted to say in the first part of the podcast. When we were doing the note stuff, we asked Mike Norvell, I asked him specifically about DJ Matthews the other day. It was an interesting response, right? Chris, he said, uh, he said, we haven't, so we haven't spoke with him in a couple of weeks, which was interesting and that they were going through the process. So it was a very vague answer, but it was interesting that there wasn't much communication between those two sides. I think that was telling. Yeah. He's officially still on the roster, technically speaking, but he's not with the team right now. I, I've heard from multiple people that he's opted out, but not enough to like, we can't. He's not in the roster in my mind. Put it that way. Conceptually not, speaking, that's where Josh is. He is on the team landing stickers though. <laughs> All right. Uh, backing up Keyshawn Helton, we have Kentron Poitier. The freshman earned a backup role there. That's impressive. Moving to the offensive line, left tackle Darius Washington, redshirt freshman, going to step into the uh, the left tackle starting position. He finished the season pretty well last year. If he cleans up just some of the penalties, like this is uh, this is where Darius Washington was scheduled or slated to play. This isn't a huge surprise. It's it's just good that he seems to be coming along nicely from the shoulder surgery and, and after a slow start to camp seemed to solidify himself at that position. That's, that's just encouraging. It's good news. Yeah. And Chaz Neal was his number two. I wouldn't really say either of those are surprising at left tackle. Mm-hmm. And then we move to left guard. Uh, Dante Lucas um, anchors that spot and probably will until he leaves Florida state. And then backing him up is uh, true freshman, Thomas Schrader. Hmm. That was that was a nice development in the preseason with him, and then we'll get to it. But Robert Scott at right tackle, two true freshmen cracking the two deep, seem to be guys that they think they can build on. I know you mentioned Josh way back in the offseason that Schrader was someone to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. That Intel proved to be correct. He's he's sounds like he's impressed people. And then yeah, sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say the Schrader and the Scott development just point to the staff's pretty straightforward with stuff. We heard Dillingham, we heard Atkins, we heard other offensive linemen, we heard Coach Norvell all speak on those two being the newcomers that were kind of making a dent, getting themselves in the mix, getting plays. Here they are, they're both on the two deep. So I, I think that's always a good sign when there's kind of a the message turns out to be the truth. I think that's a good example of that here. And. I'll also say that, uh, you know, I was told Thomas Schrader was making a real, real good impact, especially with his toughness and just leadership qualities early on. Um, I was told Robert Scott was probably going to be a guy that needed to add some weight and needed to develop before he he really factored in. So he must have had a really good camp. Um, I think that's a, a, a good sign that Robert Scott made the two deep because 
I don't think he was really expecting to see that kind of um, early playing time, but we'll see. But uh, I think the big news of this all is, is the center position, right? Uh, listed at number one center is Maurice Smith, the redshirt freshman. FSU flipped Maurice Smith late from, was it Boston College, Chris? Yes. Yeah, it was BC. Yep. Yeah. We were high on Maurice Smith when he got here. Uh, what do you think of the, the news that he's going to be the starting center for FSU? I'm excited about it. I at center's a position that for FSU has been such a desperate need of something that would be good game over game and give you a couple of years to build on. And with a redshirt freshman in that spot, a kid who is a hard-nosed, mean, aggressive kid, if he can snap at a high level, which he is believed to be capable of, then I feel mm-hmm. really good about what he brings there. I also think it's excellent to free up Bavion away from having the snap. I don't know if he fixed that issue, but I know that was an issue for him in his past. I think Babyon's a guy who has value as a blocker, as someone who can be physical, who can put his nose down. If we recall, Babyon was a very highly thought of prospect, obviously hasn't been that in an FSU uniform, but maybe this is the way you tap into that by alleviating one situation from him as a center and getting your best five out there and putting him at the right guard spot. Speaking of right guard, yeah, I'm sorry I stole your thunder there a bit, but moving baby on <laughs> over there as a starter, I, yeah. I think I think it's a win in twofold situation because you're hoping Babyon can be one of your five best offensive linemen, and it frees up Brady Scott as a multi-position swing man who can do a lot of diff- different things for you, can mm-hmm. basically steal reps, steal series here and there to help guys stay fresh, help guys get to the sideline and take a minute if they need a minute give coaches an opportunity to talk to a guy, calm a guy down. You know, if someone's out there and they're having two, three bad series in a row at a guard spot or right tackle, you can yank them, put Brady in, let them calm down, switch it back. Brady gives you kind of a stabilizing force as when you're six, seven deep offensive linemen. Yeah. That's that's Brady Scott's ideal role is to yes. be that swing guard, swing tackle. Like if you had, a, if you could build your perfect offensive line, you would feel mighty comfortable with him to be the, the sixth guy off, you know, the first guy off the bench, the sixth guy up in that rotation. So if if Maurice Smith turns out, that's a big development because for most of the preseason, it was Bavion running with the ones, I guess. I think it was Dillingham said that Maurice Smith kind of in the last week and a half or so tried to start to turn the corner a little bit. That, that's that's big time. If you have three underclassmen that you feel comfortable with starting on the offensive line, if they can all kind of grow together. I mean, you're going three guys from last year's rec- or two recruiting classes ago. you got Darius Washington, Dante Lucas, Maurice Smith all lined up uh, next to each other. That's Mm-hmm. That's good to build on. Yeah. yeah. But I think ideally, ideally you have <clears throat> the, the interior looks like Dante Lucas, Maurice Smith, and Darius Washington at the other guard position. Or, and then you have Bavion and Brady coming off. Now I'm just saying, ideally, like maybe next year you get in a transfer offensive tackle. And I think ideally Darius is your other guard. Or if you one other option too, Josh, that kind of it fits in the same uh, the same realm there. If Devontae Love Taylor stays an extra year, which now he'll be able to, too. so then you could put him at guard and you get a right tackle, True. or if you get like a like if you get a legitimate franchise left tackle in the you know transfer portal or whatever, you can move Darius to right tackle, or you can move Darius to guard, or you let him see how he does it left tackle mm-hmm. this year because he showed some signs. But yeah, if you get one more tackle and if you get Brady Scott for one more year, you're able to kick Devontae Love Taylor inside. You feel this, guys? Like the offensive line, all of a sudden, in 2021, it may be above average. I'm just saying. Hey, no, it's got a real chance in I'm 2021. Just, I'm just saying, maybe be good. They got to add the right transfer piece, though. Like yeah. you, you got to yeah. add a, a quality tackle that can come in and start, whether it be right tackle or left tackle. They just Agreed. need one instant starter, and the pieces that they can move around become a lot more advantageous. Um, the last thing I'll say about the offensive line before we move to the defensive side of the ball is I think this is still very much a work in progress. Like, oh, yeah. I think ideally on paper, this is how they want it to work, but we'll see if this is, this ends up being the right combination. Very possible that it doesn't. I mean, that's a realistic scenario is that Marie Smith doesn't give you exactly what you want at center. And we've seen baby on Johnson be someone that multiple staffs have tried to build around and that just hasn't worked out yet either. And granted it's at a different position, but yeah, there's that. We're looking this depth chart as we're reviewing it today. It all kind of feels very pie in the sky. Not that's mm-hmm. a bad thing. Optimism. You're O and O right now. This is the time of year to be optimistic. But you know, if you go back to it, if someone doesn't work out, then you still have the Brady Scott variable where you can put him in the lineup and feel okay about one of those other spots. So you just need two of those guys to work out. 
and I think everything else falls into place up front. Yep. Moving over to defense, uh, no surprise here. Joshua Kando, the starter, and Quayshon Full. You forgot about pressing. tight end. You forgot about tight end and why why. <laughs> oh. Don't say why why. I'm going to give you a one star review. Just how did that happen? Where's wait? Where's tight end on this thing? Oh, it's I right agree? right before left it? tackle. All right, I'll I'll help my brother man Josh Newberg out here. He's not on mine. But oh. Go ahead, Chris. Starter at tight end is Cameron McDonald. No surprise there. The backup situation oh, is White Rector or Preston Daniel. Preston Daniel is a freshman walk-on from Memphis, former lacrosse player, also football player. His high school staff had some ties to Norvell and that staff. That's how they got in line with one another. I actually talked to Preston last week. I'm gonna Chris is working time. on a riveting story about Preston Daniel right now. I'm just waiting for the right time. The right time. Um. But yeah, Preston's a 6'4", 235-pound guy. He earned a good bit of praise during the preseason for doing things well. We all know the story of White Rector. Brendan Sinone is the author of it. And Cameron McDonald is the most talented guy in that room. But the biggest question mark with him is how good of an inline blocker can he truly be? He's worked very hard at that. I certainly think he's going to be better at that. But tight end is not a position I think any of us would describe as a strength for this football team. It's certainly not what they were hoping it would be a month ago when they had the likes of Jordan Wilson at the position, which mm-hmm. really solidifies the one in the two. All right, Josh, all yours, buddy. Take it to defense. Thank you. Kando starting. Joshua Kando, as expected. Um, Quayshon Fuller going to back him up. Redshirt freshman. We heard a lot about him at camp. Brendan, is this uh, – what kind of impact do you think Fuller has? First, uh, he breaks Chris's heart by jumping over Derek McClendon uh, on the yeah. depth chart. <laughs> of all the, so if we just go by strictly from what we hear from Mike Norvell and, and whenever mm-hmm. we talk to the defensive staff, Joshua Kando was clearly number one, right? And then who was the second most talked about defensive end in camp? It was Quayshon Fuller. And part of me was thinking like we didn't really hear much about Janarius Robinson, and I knew Fuller was working some at defensive end early in camp. I was like, man, if you're not loving what you have at Fox and you're thinking you're having to go platoon, why not move Fuller or why don't you move Quayshon Fuller over to Fox? He's got a big body. He can set the edge well. It's what you're looking at that position. He played there in the spring and have him and Kando together starting at the same time. But, but right now I think they they like what Fuller can do as a very strong bull rushing edge defender right now. And, and I think he gives – if he's your number two, second best talented defensive end right now, uh, just keep him in Kendo rotating on that side of the mm-hmm. field. Makes sense. Yeah, and while he's not listed, I do think McClendon will have some form of a role there. As we a know, you guy, I, I do I, too. I do too, Chris. I, I think McClendon's a guy that they like, um, but it's a too deep for a reason. You're supposed to list two guys. Now the yeah. Fox and position have three. Look, it's hot in Florida. They're gonna be rotating these guys. Um, moving to the inside of the defensive line. I think the most impressive side-by-side duo is right here. Defensive tackle Marvin Wilson and nose guard Robert Cooper. Six foot five, 311 pounds, six foot two, 332 pounds. And then they're backed up by Corey Durden (laughs) and Fabian Lovett, who both are are full-time starters at the power five level as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, uh, and then they don't have a mention, but true Thompson is someone that we know can come in and give you quality reps and, uh, and Malcolm Ray. Malcolm, yeah. It, Malcolm it, it, Ray is yeah. the, he's an unknown, but in the sense of having played at FSU, but if he is able to give you some snaps here and there, that's a six deep. And if you got six at that position, you can rotate, you can push the thing with that position. Adam Fuller talked about it specifically today. They want all out effort all the time from that position. And if you get that for four quarters with a six man rotation, there's not many teams in the country that can counter that. I asked, Adam Fuller about that group specifically today, Chris, and I thought I almost got him to smile at first, but he was he wasn't having it. I thought I almost had it. He's all business as, as game time comes around. Okay, uh, moving to the other edge, you have Janarius Robinson at the Fox, as you guys mentioned. But tell me about the backup situation here. We see true freshman Josh Griffiths Ooh. making his way on there, along with transfer Deontay Williams, who's a redshirt senior. Uh, Josh Griffiths with the mullet, like I, uh, I'm a fan of his game, of his attitude, of just everything. His whole setup, I'm, I'm a fan. He's he's got this little fu mentality to him, and he's put on legitimately like good bulk this off season, probably about 20 pounds or so since he first arrived at Florida State. He's extremely serious about football. He someone who went to IMG Academy and is kind of that that traditional Florida kid who goes to IMG Academy that that wants to go ahead and elevate their path to getting to the pro level quicker. 
Some people don't love his athleticism. I think he looks pretty twitchy off the edge, maybe not super bendy, but he's got good bursts. He's got a good array of pass rush skills as a true freshman. He's someone who I felt like in the offseason was going to step up to make some sort of impact as a true freshman and, and feels like a little bit of validation for him to be on the two deep. Yeah, I think Deontay Williams is a bit different than Griffiths. I think he's more of an experienced college player. He knows what it takes there. He's obviously an FSU, uh, uh, what you call it, not, not alum, but FSU. Uh, legacy. Legacy. I was, was going to say legacy, and then you said alum, and that screwed up my brain. Yeah. I wanted to say so, uh, legacy. He has, he has a little bit of skin in the game, as I like to say. He's a 6'1", 233, more of a speed rush type is how I would describe him. He was very good in the preseason for them. Now, given it was second and third team reps a majority of the time, but he made the most of the reps and he's kind of earned himself onto that depth chart. But I think Griffiths is a big piece moving forward. I think Griffiths is an excellent college football player. I don't know how good of a pro prospect he is, and I'm not going to sit here and evaluate that in depth. And I think that's why he had some knocks on him by people in the recruiting community coming out of IMG. But for college football player, I think he's pretty damn good. That may turn out to have been a really nice Hall for Florida State to go ahead and get him back from Louisville at the very end of the signing period for Adam Fuller mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, that may have been a biggie. Jeez, a lot of thunder over here. That's Sorry. thunder. You're like, windows yeah. are legitimately shaking. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, scared for you. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. Uh, to the next level, we have starting at the weak side linebacker position, Emmett Rice, the redshirt senior, has gotten a lot of praise for his leadership, especially by some of the other players. Um, how do you feel about Emmett Rice getting out there and getting the start, Chris? I'm, I'm, I think Emmett's going to be maybe the leading tackler for FSU this year. I think it's a possibility. I think FSU's front play will be better, so hopefully less safety tackling than we saw last year when Hampson led the team. But I think Emmett's the kind of guy that can fly around the field. He's got good weight on him at 220. He's as healthy as he's ever been. His heart's more in the game than I think it's ever been, and that's not to say it wasn't previously. I just think – He's a guy that understands this is his moment as a redshirt senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Emmett's a dude that's going to be a very important piece to a linebacker group that, you know, I've said multiple times this preseason, I think it's going to be drastically improved and featured in a much better way by this FSU staff. Backing him up, you have Jaleel McCray or DJ Lundy. Um, in the middle, starting middle linebacker, six foot four, 234 pounds, senior out of Snellville, Georgia, Leonard Warner. And he will be backed up by Stephen Dix Jr. Um, We've heard a lot about Stephen Dix Jr. throughout camp. He's an Orlando prospect. So, Brendan, um, how much do you think Dix will factor into the middle linebacking position this season? I think that's going to be a one-two punch with Stephen Dix Jr. He's obviously going to be the backup there. But I think he's going to be someone who probably plays 20 snaps or so a game. They really, really like him. He's mature. We've talked about that before. Mentally, physically, they've talked about even in the scrimmages how he's starting to to make pre-play you know, checks and reads and kind of seeing things at a faster level than you would expect a true freshman. So he's well ahead of the curve. He's going to be a fixture for this position group for the next few years, which is awesome. And then, uh, then with Leonard Warner, kind of like the same deal with Emmett Rice, someone who seems to be engaged, someone who has received a lot of positive praise from teammates and coaches alike. If he gives you quality snaps inside as a run stopper, that's that's a really nice development for him at, at the final chapter of his career, given all the, he's moved around in different positions. He's been miscasted. He's hasn't always looked comfortable and confident. If you can get something consistent out of him, like that, that would be, that'd be a, a very telling dynamic to, uh, to what Chris Marv is doing at that position right now as a coach. Okay. But the way I'm looking at it is Leonard Warder, two six four two thirty four. Steven Dick, 6'2", 225. They're completely different players. Yeah. I think... I mean, one's, I, one's a senior, so he's got more time to have added Right, but I weight. think there's going to be times on based on what the offense is doing that you're going to have to have Steven Dix out there over Leonard Warner. Well, that kind of presents some options. I right? think that's true of that whole linebacker group. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Think, like, we're getting to the studs. Stud emphasizes yeah. that maybe more than any. Well, let's move to the stud right now. Break that down. Okay, well, Amari Gaynor is your co-starter with Kalen DeLoge, and then Kalen Brooks is the third man up. We all know mm-hmm. what Kalen is, veteran, redshirt, junior. Uh, I think with Gaynor and DeLoge, it's a matter of you want two very versatile guys. Gaynor is 6'3", 215, good edge rusher, can also play to pass. DeLoge is 6'3", 
61208, a little bit more in a, I don't want to call him a safety, but a little bit more in a pass coverage mode of a big safety. Um, I think Deloach's strength in that position is consistency, and that's what's thrust him into a two-man head of the job. But they're going to use both of them a line. Fuller straight up said today that they would use both of them at the same time in some situations. I think linebacker's a position where, well, I think Rice, Warner, Gaynor are your main three. We can't get hung up on them being the only three. This is an FSU of the last few years where the depth at that position was so barren and worthless and undeveloped and miscast that it made no sense to play it. I think now you have a group where you have roughly uh, seven, eight guys that you know you can trust at the three spots. And while some, Leonard Warner, for example, there are limited things he's really good at. He is very good at those things. The key with him is don't put him in a position to have to do something he can't do, which prior staffs have done with him and is why I would bang on him on the pass for being a bit of a battleship, being a bad position for covering a pass or something like that. I don't think this staff is going to operate this way. I think this staff is going to be very good at understanding situations and schemes and understanding when to utilize guys to play to their best strengths. And I I think I think that is the proof in the pudding that we're going to have to see with on the field. But if they're good at that, the defense can be as good as we think they can be. Yeah. Sounds like gunshots behind you, Josh. It's uh, crazy. Uh, I'm just I I just see a, a scenario where due to Leonard Warner's limited athleticism in certain situations, you could very well see Stephen Dix Jr., a true freshman, on the field for a lot of snaps at key situations. Or yeah, even, I, I, and I think they're coming. I think he's capable that. of that. I'm just saying. I, I think you know a big drop off from senior to true freshman. Sonone did a good job of speaking on Dick's doing a good job of picking up the mental aspects of being the interior linebacker, kind of the quarterback of the defense to some degree. I think what makes Warner a standout with this group with this staff is that he is excellent at that. He has an understanding of what they want to do mm-hmm. on defense at communicating that, handling that. I think that's what gives him an upper hand. But I don't think Dix is far behind. Dix is a guy that's had buzz around his name since the second he stepped on campus with this staff. They love his work ethic. Guys who are going to put in the work, who are going to do it, are going to be rewarded. I think he certainly falls in that category. And you look at what they're going to do. I wrote about this a couple times over the weekend, but what they're going to do with the nickel packages and that kind of, mm-hmm. to your point, Josh, about matchups and, and trying to get athletes on the field when it's obvious passing downs. Adam Fuller's talked about, do we want to get a third cornerback in there? Do we want to get a third safety? But regardless of who they put in that slot position, that will kick over at least one of the stud linebackers like Kalen Deloach to maybe play an inside linebacker on passing downs where you get an extra athlete on the field or Amari Gaynor to defensive end, edge rusher type of deal, or even both of them uh, to maximize athleticism. And that may push someone like Leonard Warner out of the lineup if you want to go with Emmett Rice inside because you know he'll know the defense as well and try to maximize your athleticism. So there's... There is the potential for this to be a lot of fun on defense, for there to be a lot of chess pieces to kind of move guys around and, and play the matchups and, and actually utilize and flex your depth. Hopefully not as much stuff as you try to do against Boise State last year when they had like 500 substitutions. But, but yeah, you, you, right. have, you have options there. Let's move to the secondary. Asante Samuel Jr. locked in as a starter. What, what is this, field boundary? What, what corner spot? Field corner, field corner. Okay. You field his, corner. You want, you want him playing to the field because he's quick. Yep. So you got Asante Samuel Jr. out there named as the starter. Uh, He's a true junior. And he's backed up by two guys that have made a lot of noise. One, this camp, Jarvis Brownlee Jr. And last year we heard a lot about Carlos Becker. Haven't seen a lot of Carlos Becker, but he's listed in the or position in the backup spot. Um, Asante goes down or they need somebody. Who do you think they call on in the majority of the roles? Akeem Dent. I think I think Jarvis Brownlee will be a rotational piece, but I think if you mm-hmm. end up losing uh, in in a game, especially, but if you end up losing Asante Samuel for three or four weeks or something like that, then I think you'd either have Miko Dotson or Akeem Dent slide over. So let's talk about the other corner okay. spot now before we go to the safeties. The, um, the boundary corner spot. The yeah. Boundary corners. You have Janarian Jones starting. Which leaves Akeem Dent is the backup. So you think he backs up whoever goes down on on either side? I think he's athletic enough to play that field corner spot, but long enough to play the boundary spot and physical enough. There's Mm -hmm. a reason why he was a high four-star recruit, borderline five-star two two years ago, uh, two cycles ago, I should say for FSU. And, and he's someone who was, I think some of our readers uh, or, or listeners, but I guess it was readers because it was on the message board were upset that he wasn't, projected as a starter. Remember, Akeem Dent had a leg injury in the offseason, I believe required surgery. I think it was an ankle injury. And he was kind of slow at the start of preseason camp. 
by the end of it, he started to come on a little bit. So he's someone I think as the year goes on, and this whole season's going to be played in chapters where guys are going to be missing time because of various reasons, but potentially, hopefully not knock on wood, uh, you know, COVID testing or, or quarantining or whatnot. You're going to need all sorts of guys. So Akeem Dent's going to play a lot, a lot this yeah, year. Yeah. I viewed a cornerback spot if you combine the two as Asante clearly one A and then Jones Dent Dotson as your next three men up with Brownlee being the next guy after that and I think that's the group that you're going to lean on. I think you see a good bit of rotation, maybe not with Asante, but on the other side, I definitely think Dotson's a major nickel option. Um, I think Sinone would agree with me on that with him being a major nickel option. I think the nice thing about the secondary, both that corner and at safety, as well as some of the backers you have, you have a whole hell of a lot of nickel options. They can really scheme it up when they want to mix it up with some unique looking packages with putting a lot of different bodies on there, a lot of different skill sets on there. I think that's something that they're going to be able to utilize and use as a strength. That back end has more talent in it and more depth in it than it has in several years. And I think this group may do the best job of developing that bunch that we've seen, you know, since mid range of Jimbo years. We're, we're excited about their versatility and depth in the secondary. If they live up to potential big end, yeah. because that's been the question last few years. And that's before we're even factoring Hamsa into all this too. Who's like the Swiss army knife. Of, of yeah. And, and the, the staff's excited about the versatility too. I yeah. mean, when, when coach Woodson talks about it, when coach Fuller talks about it, when coach Norvell talks about it, it is clear that they love that they have a guy like Travis J who, you know, he's listed as a co-starter at both safety spots, but he could also play corner. He was at corner. They moved him to safety to get the most best players on the field, potentially. You know, a guy like Raymond Woody can play both safety spots. A guy like Renardo. So hold Green on, let's let's get to the spots. buck position just right. right now. Let's just get to the buck. Um, you have Not Jay if Lars, you buck. Sorry. You, you have Jaden Lars would be or Travis J listed as the starter with Raymond Woody, the third backing him up. And then free safety, you have Renardo Green or Travis J with Cyrus Fagan. So just speak on the on the back end of that defense a little bit. Well, I think that it's clear that Travis J is a guy that they love, they value, they think he's got really special athleticism that he can do a lot. He's also going to be a special teams piece for him. With Bernardo Green, I think he's another guy. He could play corner, he could play both safety spots, tons of versatility. And I think they love his work ethic. They love how he brings it every day. He's a guy that uh, Fuller commented today that he may be the most improved guy in that secondary from the end of spring to now. And that's all because of hard work, determination, and just taking to what they're asking of him. Fagan's kind of the old relic. He's been there forever. I think if you have to fall back on him, you're safe. He's not the guy you want as a starter because you have more talented players ahead of him. And Woody is Mr. Consistent. Raymond Woody, you know, he he got a – when mission turnover was the thing this preseason, he was a regular occurrence in that. Raymond Woody just makes consistent plays on the football field. I think he knows how to play the game at a high level. I think he understands the game at an insanely high level. And there's a great deal of value in that with a guy in the back end. All right. That takes care of the defense. Let's uh, do specialists and returners. Brandon, start with returners. I think uh, there's some interesting starters named here did you you threw it to me with the only one i didn't know off the top of my head that i don't have prepared well, i got it kick returner you got travis well i figure chris knee is best to talk about kickers and punters i do too i think so i i figured i'd give you the more exciting topic to, all, to finish all the, with all the oars and we all we need to know is that travis J is in both of those categories with mm-hmm. all the or guys who, who else was that punt returner for them and, uh, well it was let's Jay, well punt returner was let's go right. kick returner first oh my god travis Chris, Chris, calm down hey special teams talk yeah, I got great. It's the ghost of Bob. It's just inhabited <laughs> my body. Travis J or Isaiah Bolden. Mm-hmm. And then the other one's Jay Sean Corbin or LaDamian Webb. At punt return, it's Travis J or Asante Samuel Jr. or Keyshawn Helton. And in the case of Travis J, John Papucha has talked today a lot about special teams, honestly, more than I think any of us ever thought a man could talk about special teams. With Travis Shea, he's a natural ball catcher, understands depth, understands how to get the ball, understands what to do with the ball in his hands. That comes a lot from his high school days of being a quarterback and an elite athlete. That translates. Bolden, we've talked about, especially with his move to wide receiver. He's a guy who's very talented with the ball in his hand. Odell Higgins gave him that chance last year. He cashed in those chips. Jay Sean Corbin, he's done that at Texas A&M at a high level, had success. With Damian Webb, since he was recruited out of Juco, was always expected as a guy who could potentially do that. I think that gives you four kick returners who can light up the scoreboard. They have the potential to have massive returns. They're guys who are comfortable returning the ball. And in all four cases, they're guys who are very comfortable at handling a football in their hands, even though one is newly converted to offense and the other one is a full-time defender. 
those guys are both very good athletes who are comfortable with a ball in their hands, did a great deal in their high school time. At punt returner, Jay's obviously there. We've discussed him. Asante Samuel, that's a cat quick dude who does a good job of locating balls and securing balls. And Keyshawn Helton's about as safe of a return man as you could ever have. He's going to catch it consistently. He's also good at reading a field, having vision, and returning it. We'll see how explosive he is coming off the injury. Sorry Chris, to steal. Sorry to steal your thunder, Sedone. That's, that's all right. I just I got excited. You did. We know you. I'm did. very excited. I I feel like I poor. Take that stuff. energy over to kicker and punter, Chris. All right. Well, kicker, it's a battle that will never end. Ryan Fitzgerald <laughs> or Parker Grothaus. The one interesting thing today discussed with Papuchis was, do you use one for long kicks and one for short kicks? He said, nah, you would prefer to have just one for all kicks. He said mm-hmm. both have plenty of leg. Everybody knew Parker had plenty of leg. Ryan, haven't seen him in the college game, but he had plenty of leg in the high school game. The belief is that's converted to college. Uh, I, I'm not ready to call that battle. I don't know. I don't have a heads up on it. Going into the preseason, I thought Ryan would seize it. The fact that it hasn't happened, I don't know if that's a little gamesmanship of com- competition because every position on special teams is currently an or situation, or if it's truly a battle that is very close and too tough to call. I do enjoy, if there is gamesmanship, the dynamic that Mike Norvell has been pretty transparent with almost everything, but he loves special teams so much. He's treating he's treating the unknowns uh, special teams like Willie Taggart treated quarterbacks last season. <laughs> okay. That's, that makes sense. Cause I was going to ask you guys, is it the garnet and gold glasses I'm wearing or is there reason for optimism on special teams? But I think that's the answer to it. Uh, he's right? uh, his, the amount of time that they spend on special teams, if they're not good on it, that would be highly questionable because they spent so much time on it. Josh. I mean, we're talking about like they'll dedicate apparently I've been told like, like our straight consecutive of practice time sometimes majority of practices on special teams but they'll go usually like 20 minute special teams and then you move on another period and then you may go back to special teams again no Mike Norville practices legitimately like an hour straight of, of practicing little nuances for special teams so yeah he, he cares about special teams he's always cared about special teams he makes higher specific to special teams those guys always have a secondary value for example pitches with defensive ends but he always makes a hire of a guy who knows how to coach special teams. It's not just a title he throws out at somebody to give him a little bit more money. And I think the other thing with special teams specific to this team, this offense, even if the O-line is improved, is going to struggle to get yards at times. They're going to have trouble. So if you can shorten the field and put them in better situations to get three or you know punts that flip the field, make it a longer field, give your defense, which you believe will be your strength, a better opportunity, it has value. And I think – I think special teams is always important, but I think that's the uh, little bit extra whipped cream on top of this special team Sunday. Mm. And another, right. another yep. thing on the or situation with return men, the reason they do that is uh, workload. You know, if Jay Sean Corbin's carrying it 25 times in a game, you're probably not going to see him returning kicks. You're probably going to see Webb because he's not carrying it 25 times in that game. So that's some of that. You know, that's not all gamesmanship and it's not all to screw with people. There is a reason for that. There's a legitimate reason. And then the other ones, you know, we didn't talk about punter. I do think Alex Mastromano is going to win that job over Tommy Martin. We heard he had very good scrimmages in both scrimmages. Alex's only shortcoming is he's new to it all. Uh, long snapper, Grant Glennon, Glennon is your incumbent. Gary, Garrett Murray, redshirt sophomores, pushing him. I think they feel very confident with either of those guys. Those two guys are very good friends. Pretty cool story. I think they're going to be happy for whoever wins that job, even if it's not them. And then uh, Holder's a battle between Tommy Martin and Alex Mastromano. And for the love of God, I have no thoughts on Holder. Josh, did you notice that Chris turned his special teams excitement into uh, a fantasy with whipped cream and Sundays? It was whipped cream on top of the Sunday, and it wasn't a fantasy. <laughs> All right, like we got to get out. It's been a, It's been about an hour. This has been fun. Um, Brendan, I want you to go back and watch the tape on this one because I figured out how to handle Chris when he wants to jump ahead. You, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I ride the wave. I think you try to like stop the wave and Chris is an, an, an impossible force to stop. You just got to let him go. So go back and listen to the tape. That's how you deal with the Chris that wants notes. to jump ahead. Okay. Sometimes when you're talking corners, you got to talk safety. So you right. I, I get the flow. I interchangeable get the flow. parts, baby. I've covered Leonard Hamilton for 20 years. It's a sum mm-hmm. of all parts. It's interchangeable parts. Positionless football. Here we are. Yeah. Go go back and watch the tape. We're running the two-man weave. We'd love to make it a three-man weave if you can get involved, Brendan. But 
It's only if you can. If you we'll can be play. like Army. We'll run that shit up and down the field. No passing necessary. Just put points on the board. I do feel very overwhelmed by this entire podcast. It's been moving too fast for me. All right. Well, for you're Brendan new to the Sinone, college game. <laughs> for Chris Nee, I'm Josh Newberg. If you guys got any other questions on the roster or anything coming up for the first game or recruiting, season you can preview podcast. Go to the website. Yeah, season preview questions. Goals twenty four seven. Thank you for listening. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.